Good morning, everybody. I want to bring greetings to you all from Vine and Branches Anglican. This is the, the name of our little church plant that we've started in Tirana, Albania in the last 10 months. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what God's been doing in Albania, and then I'm going to get into our message today. And so we, we left to go to Tirana about 10 months, well, a year ago, almost to the day. And we felt God leading on our hearts to begin an Anglican expression of worship for other missionaries that are living in Albania and the Balkan countries, as well as Albanians that would find this as an expression of faith that they would want to join in. We had no idea what to expect, but we got there on a Friday, and on Sunday morning we started meeting two days later with two other families. And from that time, God has grown our little community to be a people that love meeting together. And I think that there's two reasons why I feel like this has been such a blessing. The Balkan countries are very divisive, and culturally, and I think oftentimes, missionaries, when they walk into something that's divisive in such a way that you can kind of tend to mirror the culture. And so a lot of Christians, a lot of missionaries are kind of doing their own thing, separated, and that caused Albanians to question, why are you living this way? If we were somewhere together as Albanians in another country, we would flock together to be with one another and worship. These are believers saying this. And so it was that question of why do we live the way we do, often isolated and doing our own thing? And then secondly, COVID, of course, being able to meet together was such a richness for us and for our community. So we're gonna, we can talk more about that after this service and after the next, but God's been so kind to give us this opportunity to go cross-culturally and to meet together. And my hope and prayer is that the Anglican way that we're doing would be a source of maintaining the unity and the bonds of love. I'm going to talk a bit about that this morning. But God has given us all that we need for unity within the body of Christ together through his son Jesus. And he asks us to maintain that unity in peace. And so my hope is that we can see true believers within the Protestant Evangelical Church, the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church in Albania and in the Balkans united together, worshiping together and more what we have in common than what divides us. So I'm going to share a little bit about from Ephesians today, and I want to give a bit of a background to this letter. So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and that's really my, my hope today, is this is a message for you as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not a message for those that don't call in the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's to us as the body. And the first three chapters of this book, Paul outlines some incredible things that God has done for us and I want you to sit with these. These are about five or six things that he's done for us. And this really leads us into how we live our life. I'm going to talk about walking the walk today, how we walk with Jesus because of what he's done for us. So he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. Because of Jesus, he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. He's adopted each of you as sons and daughters of him, into his family, into his kingdom. Before you were not called by the name of Jesus, now you are because you have come to faith in him and he has adopted you into his family. He's redeemed you by the blood of Jesus. He's washed away your sin, pure as snow, redeemed you, nothing that you've done, but all what Jesus has done. He's lavished grace upon you more than you could ever ask or imagine. In so many countless ways, 
He's given grace upon grace. He sealed each of you with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what's to come in the kingdom of heaven. He's raised you and I up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. He's reconciled us as Gentiles. Now this letter is, is primarily to the Gentile church, right? He said, before you were not a people, but now you are a people. Each of us have the blessing of the gospel coming to us when we were lost in our sin. Now he's reconciled us as Gentiles and he's creating us to be a holy dwelling place for his spirit to live in. So these are all things that he has done for us. Now he goes on and he talks about who are you? He tells the church in Ephesus, this is who you are. And I want each of you to hear this specifically for you today. Chapter one, verse four, you are chosen. Verse seven, you are forgiven. Chapter two, verse four, you are the beloved of God. Two, verse 10, you are his workmanship. Think of a master craftsman. You are his workmanship. 2.13, you have been brought near. Before you were far off, now by the blood of Jesus you've been brought near. 2.19, you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And 2.22, you are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So how do we walk this out practically? What does this look like to walk the walk? Chapter four, verse one, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he goes on to list some characteristics of how we walk this out. And this is really like with one another. And I think this is a message for our time, is it not? With so much potential for division within the body of Christ. And so he outlines some characteristics with humility and gentleness, with patience, with long-suffering or forbearance, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the bond of unity and peace. And so I think about what are these, what are these attributes, characteristics mean for how I live my life? Humility and gentleness. I think I, I want to sit with people and listen and you can name, I can name about three or four things right off the top of my head, right? COVID, politics, race, any number of things that can divide us and often do in the church. And then I have a lot of friends that look at the church and say, I don't want nothing to do with that. If we can sit with one another and hear people's stories, wherever they're coming from, the way that we live out humility and gentleness, you don't have to agree. I'm not asking you to, but I think God is saying maintain unity without uniformity. Maintain unity in who Jesus is, all these reasons that he's, what he's done for us. Maintain that unity, and it's okay to be not in uniformity with one another. I know that's hard, right? And I think of the scene from The Chosen, if any of you have seen that. The second season, episode eight. I'm not gonna ruin it for you, you haven't seen it, but Jesus and Matthew are up on the hillside, right? And he, they're preparing the Sermon on the Mount and they're looking down at all the people that are going out and Matthew's like, I just hope they can learn to work together at some point. And Jesus is kind of like, what do you mean? And he said, I've just noticed that they can't seem to agree on a single thing lately, myself included sometimes. And Jesus says, I've noticed. <laughs> and Matthew said, well, surely it's, it's not to be 
desired. And Jesus says, no, but it's bound to happen, right? When you start something that's open to all people, truly all people. And then he says, zealots. And he looks at Matthew, tax collectors. People are going through hard times. And that's true for us today. We're going through hard times. People that are hesitant and skeptical, he says. People that are confident, bold, courageous. People that are hungry to learn and people that feel like they are learned. And so I want you to think about that. Who are these people in your life that you may really disagree with something and you feel like it is the most important factor? Maybe we can learn to sit with people and ask some questions because I think that's what Jesus would do with each of us. So because of all these things, how are we to walk with ourselves now? We've, we've talked a little bit about walking with one another. And this kind of gets into our text today from Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to back up a little bit and look at Ephesians chapter 4 because I think there's some practicalities with ourself. But he, Paul talks about putting off of our old self. Think about changing clothes, right? When, if I go out for a, a long run, I come back, I'm sweaty, I'm hot. Probably got bugs on my shirt, whatever. I'm taking off my old clothes and I'm going to put on new clothes. It's the old self. There's a, Paul lists some attributes here of the old self. A futility of your mind, right? A false and corrupting speech. A hardness or a callousness of our hearts and a deceitfulness of our desires. And he said, put on the new self. Don't be like the, the, the Gentiles are that are not walking with me now. Put on your new self. You were that before. You're no longer. Put on your new self. Renewing of your minds. Truthful speech. A new heart, as Ezekiel talks about. Taking away the heart of stone. Giving you a heart of flesh. And then chapter 5, verse 1. Imitating Christ in all ways. Right? In love as Christ loved us. Giving yourself up for others as Christ has given himself up for us. And then forgiving others because God in Christ has forgiven you. And I promise you, if you think somebody has offended you, and you've all been offended, I've been offended, the reality is you have been infinitely more offensive in your life to God. Right? And he and Jesus has forgiven you. And it's, that, it's the therefore, because of what he's done for you, go and do likewise Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, some of you know these passages, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more significant than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then the reason that Paul says this is because look at the model in the preceding verses of what Jesus has done. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but gave himself up, taking the very nature of a servant, came into human likeness as a man, humbled him, he gave up his rights. And so I wonder what rights God is asking us to give up or to lay down on behalf of somebody else. So we talked about how we must walk. How must we not walk? And this is where I'm gonna hone in a little bit today. How we must not walk. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. covetousness. Now this is the reality of how you used to walk in your former days, as the Gentiles did. He says, don't do that anymore. In this reality of anything 
that is an expression, an action of sexuality that's not in the covenant marriage of husband and wife, that's what Paul's talking about here. Impurity, covetousness. No longer walk in these ways because look what God has done for you. It's our response. You know, we don't try to live a righteous life in order to maintain or to achieve God's favor. He's not gonna love you anymore based on what you do or what you don't do. You are infinitely loved. You are his beloved. And he's saying, because of that, walk in that way. How do we not talk filthy language, foolish talk, crude joking? This would be in the, that kind of sexual way, sexual innuendo, coarse joking. Instead, he says, thanksgiving. And we have so much to be thankful for based on what he has done for us. It's taking, it's flipping around what we used to do and now saying, I am now God's child. I'm his son and daughter. I'm adopted into the family. And to rejoice in thanksgiving, to praise him for what he's done. I read these passages and I'm like, right? Like these are pretty sobering warnings for us. He says, the sexually immoral, the impure, and the covetous, which are idolaters, have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I gotta be honest, that's scary to me to read that, right? What he's not talking about is when we stumble in sin and we come back with a repentant heart and we confess our sins to God and to one another, he's not speaking to us that realize like our sin and our depravity and we come back and we plead for his forgiveness and his grace. He's saying this lifestyle, the sexually immoral lifestyle, the impure lifestyle, the idolatrous lifestyle, and it's not just sexual, but that lifestyle of unrepentance and saying I'm gonna go my own way and do what I wanna do because it's my body and it's my life, that is who he's talking to. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, your body is a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit and you're actually not your own. We can't claim to be our own gods of our own bodies and our own selves because we were purchased. We were bought at a price and therefore glorify God in your bodies. He says the wrath of God comes because of these things impurity, covetousness, idolatry. The wrath of God comes because of these things. And he says, don't let people convince you that these actions aren't really that bad because they are and they're offensive to God. He says, don't become partners, not with people, but with these practices. What does that mean? If we look back at 1 Corinthians 5, these are some tough words for us, I think, as a church, and I, I wrestle with this. He says, I'm not calling you to not like, be a part of sexual immoral immorality with people like, in their life that are non-believers, like, or else you'd have to leave the, the, the world, right? Like, he says, those that are greedy swindlers, the sexual immoral of the, of the world, like, be with them in life because they need witness for the kingdom, for the light to shine on them. But he does say, I tell you, if any brother claims to be a, a brother or sister in Christ and lives a sexually immoral lifestyle, don't even eat with them. You're challenging words for me. And I gotta admit, I don't often know what to do with that. But I must wrestle in this reality that we are called to be separated from the world. We're never meant to conform. We're to be good news, salt and light, the kingdom to the world, but never to conform with the world. 
So why is Paul commanding this? He says, you were once darkness. Not in darkness. You were once darkness, but now are the light of Christ. Walk in this reality and identity. And I think that's how we walk the walk. We walk into our identity of who God says that we are. The fruit is found in these attributes of God, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And not only as believers are we not called to partake in these evil deeds of darkness, but we're called to expose them for what they are. And it's not just sexual morality, it's racism, it's greed, it's corruption. It's the norms of the world that we're called to expose. Why? I suggest two reasons. The first is that because by bringing sin into the light, that may be the very thing that God uses to get somebody's attention. Look at the end of verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the imagery of somebody waking up, darkness to light, death to life. And secondly, because you were once there, and you know what it's like. You were in darkness, you were cut off from Christ, and you were without hope in the world. But now you are light. I have three applications for us for how to walk this out in our daily lives. The first one is our behavior must be consistent with our identity. Right? We must become who God has already declared you are. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are beloved. You are forgiven. You are light. Now, have your behavior be congruent with your identity. We must always attempt to please our, to please our Lord and Savior in every situation because of what he's already done for us. It's our response. It's our take my life and lay it down for you. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I think there's a couple ways we can discern this. I, I think for me, I need other people in my life to help me discern what's of the Lord and what's not. Before we went to Albania, we said, Lord, we have no idea where you're calling us to go. We need other people to help us hear from you. We're limited in our understandings. We're limited in our knowledge of ourself. And a little picture I'll give you is a, is a four-paned window known as the Johari window. The first pane is what you know about yourself and what other people also know about you. These are these things that are wide open, right? The second pane is what we know about ourselves, but other people don't know about us. These would be the places that are hidden to others. Maybe consciously hidden to others, maybe self-unconsciously hidden, but it's what we know. And I think as we grow in Christ, we, we begin to invite more people into these places of our lives that maybe we feel broken or hurt or sinful. So invite other people in. The third pain is what other people know about you that you don't know about yourself, right? These are our blind spots. And this is where discernment really helped Noel and I to hear from God that he was leading us to Albania to begin an Anglican church to provide care and counseling for missionaries and Albanians and to take our kids and go 
from, from Cambodia to Albania. Like, we just did not want to make that decision on our own. And so these are our blind spots, the things that are yet to be discovered for us. And then the fourth pain is what we don't know about ourselves and nobody else does either. These are kind of like the secret things that God knows about us, but that he reveals over our lives oftentimes to us or to one another. So discerning God's will involves the help of other people. It also involves the guidance of God's word. I think chapter four is a really great template for this. There's a lot in there about unity, about how we live our lives, how we don't live our lives. But God's word guides our steps. We discern what is righteous and holy and good by looking at God's word. And then thirdly, we have to ask ourselves questions and take the time to reflect. I think in our fast-paced culture, mine included, we often just go 100 miles an hour and assume like we're serving the Lord and this is what's going on. But I think there are questions that we can ask. Is my lifestyle pleasing to the Lord? Is it honoring to him? Is it, a, is it enough of a difference to the world that people say, I'm either like think that guy's ridiculous or I'm drawn to this? We need time to sit and reflect on these questions, that margin in that space. And the third application, and this is hard for me too, sacrifice and surrender is part of what it means to follow Jesus. The cultural pull is so strong and often unrelenting. It's hard to live counterculturally particularly in areas of holding to a traditional biblical ethic on sexuality and many other things. But sacrifice and surrender is what we're called to. And so what is the Lord asking you to sacrifice and or surrender in order to walk in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior? Let me pray for you and for me. Father, you have loved us so dearly that you sent your son Jesus to reconcile us to you. We were so lost, darkness, groping around, don't know the way up, no way to to be with you, but then you made a way. And it was a costly way, Father. The imagery of Jesus in the garden tears of blood, take this cup away, but not my will, but yours be done. That is what it costs you for your own son to give his life so that we may live. So Father, help us to walk faithfully with you as a response to that incredible love that you have for each person here. Convict us of our sin, help us to turn away from the things that bind us to what is freeing. And we can't do that alone. We need your spirit to empower us. We need the body to help us. But we know it's because of your radical pursuit of us that we want to live a life that's pleasing to you and honorable to you. Your word says that whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, to think about these things. So renew our minds and renew our hearts with a devotion to you that we may live a life that pleases you in all ways. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.